Well, good morning again, everybody. It is good to see you. Welcome back to Community Church. It's always a good time when we can gather together and see each other and worship together. We had a beautiful time of worship this morning. It's great to see you on this Super Bowl Sunday as well. Um, now, I don't actually have a dog in this fight, okay? My team, which is also known as America's team, is not playing today. So I'm just going to borrow a phrase from Maddie this morning right here and just say, go team, <laughs> do the thing, win the points, yay sports, right? <laughs> so that's where I'm at today. But I hope that you've had a blessed week in the Lord. I'm super excited to gather around his word with you again this morning. But today we're going to continue our study in chapter one of the gospel of Luke. Last week we looked at the first 25 verses in chapter 1 where we studied Luke's account of the announcement of the forerunner. Okay, This was the very one whom the prophet Malachi had spoken of some 400 years earlier in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 through 6. And actually what is the last recorded words in the Old Testament. The forerunner is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah had spoken of as well some 300 years before Malachi in Isaiah, Isaiah rather, chapter 40, verse 3. And so this forerunner, according to the angel Gabriel, is going to be the one who will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What a ministry. What a ministry he's going to have. John the Baptist will be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, going before the Messiah in the spirit of Elijah, turning the hearts of the fathers to their children and pointing people to Christ. So history is changing here. And the last of the Old Testament prophets is now on his way to proclaim the end of the law by preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The law and the prophets were until John, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verse 16. And so this morning, as we continue our study in verses 26 through 56 of Luke chapter 1, Luke is going to turn our attention away from the forerunner, away from the water baptizer, away from the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth to the son of God, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The one who has both the power to save and the power to exact judgment. So this morning we're going to read about the announcement of the Christ. Israel's Messiah, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So again, things are indeed changing. No doubt about it. In just a few short months, the Son of God will step into history as the Son of Man, the perfect God-man. And the world is never going to be the same. So let's pray together one more time, and then we'll get into our text this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you again for this time around your word. We ask for your blessing. We ask for your help to understand and discern it, to rightly divide it. Please, Lord, through the power of your spirit, would you guide us into all truth as we look into your word this morning. Please, as well, have your way with us. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26 now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, so fast forward in time six months from where we left off last week. And we find out that the angel Gabriel has left the temple in Jerusalem in the area of Judea and was sent by God to a little town called Nazareth. 
in the area of Galilee, which was about 70 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem. Now, at this time in history, Nazareth would have had a population of about 15,000 people. We tend to think of it as just a little tiny place, but it was a decent size area. It was also largely Gentile, and it was a popular stop for those people who were traveling throughout the region. But it also had become very corrupt, and it had developed quite the reputation as well. And this is most likely why Nathaniel responded to Philip the way he did in John chapter 1, verse 46. Remember, after Philip found Nathaniel in Galilee, he told him about Jesus. Nathaniel said this, he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And that was probably in reference to the corruption there, not the size of the city. But I don't want you to miss the beauty and the depth here, even in this verse right here in verse 26, which is easy to miss if you read too fast. But this region of Galilee is ancient. It's an ancient area. It goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, in Joshua chapter 20, we see God directing Joshua to appoint cities of refuge. Okay, and this would have been for those people who they may have accidentally or unintentionally killed somebody. These people, they could find refuge in one of these designated cities so that they wouldn't have to die at the hands of their avenger. The Bible calls them the avenger of blood. So they could go there until they were able to stand before the congregation in sort of a trial. And one of those cities was called Kadesh in Galilee. Now, I'm not trying to make too much of the text here, but I want us to think about it for a minute because we know that Joshua himself was a type of Christ in many, many different ways. And as we look into the scriptures with Christ in view, which is always a good idea, by the way, because we know all of scripture from front to back, it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke twenty four twenty seven. And if we look at this passage here, verse 26 in Luke 1, with Christ in view, then I think we can see a beautiful picture of Christ as portrayed in the city of refuge. Now, Galilee, it was a region. It was not a city. I get that. But Kadesh and Nazareth were both in Galilee. One was a city of refuge and the other was the birthplace of our Savior. And so the beautiful connection here, at least to me, is this. Okay, just as people ran to the city of refuge to escape the avenger of blood in the old covenant until they could stand trial before the congregation, sinners like us today, we can run to Christ for our refuge to seek cover under the protection of his blood in the new covenant in order to escape the holy wrath of God the Father against our sin. And so all of that to say this, Jesus Christ is our refuge. And he alone is the only place that sinners like you and me can find forgiveness. It's the only place. Christ is the only place where we can find hope and the grace that we need to stand before a holy God on judgment day. And so those who take shelter and refuge in the blood of Christ by grace through faith, they're safe from the righteous vengeance of a holy and just God. Christ is our eternal city of refuge. And so I think that should give us something to think about this morning. But God, he sends Gabriel from the heart of Judaism in the temple at Jerusalem to what was once a place of refuge, Galilee, but has now become a hotbed of Gentile corruption. Galilee 
in the region of Galilee here where he sends him is that little city called Nazareth. And we pick up the story in verse 27. Gabriel comes to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. All right, so Joseph and Mary were both in the line of King David, all right, the very line that held the promise of the coming Messiah. And you can read about Joseph's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 if you would like. But they were betrothed, the Bible says. So betrothal would have been the step beyond engagement, but it's the step before marriage. Okay, however, betrothal, it's a legally bound agreement. For sure. And it would come one year before the official marriage, which would happen, check this out, when the father of the bride would come to tell the groom at an unexpected time of his choosing to go and tell him to get his bride. What does that remind you of? Of course, this is a picture of the father telling Christ to come and get his church. Right? Jewish marriage is a portrayal of Christ's relationship to the church his bride. But this also explains why their marriage had not yet been consummated, okay? They were betrothed, they were legally bound, but they were not yet married. Therefore, Mary was still a virgin, verses 28 and 29. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. I mean, wow, what a way to enter a room, right? I mean, Gabriel just immediately tells Mary, Rejoice! Rejoice. I mean, that had to be just a little bit startling for sure. But then he gives her three reasons as to why. Here's why you rejoice, Mary. One, you're highly favored. Two, the Lord is with you. And three, you're blessed. I mean, what three promises from God would you rather have than that? I'd be happy myself with just having number two, just knowing that the Lord is with me. I think I would be fine with that. But of course, as believers in Jesus Christ, we do have these same promises from the Lord. But I want you to notice the specifics here as it relates to Mary. The angel said that she is the highly favored one. And that's right. There can only be one, one virgin in all of history to carry God's son. And it's Mary. And this promise goes all the way back to the very first prophecy about Christ in the Bible. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after the fall in the garden, where we read about God's declaration of punishment to the serpent. It says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. First prophecy of Christ in the Bible. Now, this prophecy, it tells us a couple of things. One, that Christ is going to crush his enemy at his cross. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn is that he's going to come from the seed of a woman. Interesting. I think we need to pause right here for just a second because I think all of us know in basic biology tells us that the reproductive seed comes from men, not women. Right? So what God is telling us here is that Christ will be born of a virgin. Her seed, so to speak, capital S, will be different. It's going to be divinely placed in her womb by God. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Amen. And Mary is that virgin. Amazing. Prophecy fulfilled right there. The promised Messiah born of a virgin will be conceived in Mary's womb. So truly, the Lord was with her just as Gabriel said, but also he told her that she is blessed among women. Now notice, the angel said, Mary, you are blessed among women. He did not say that you are blessed above women, right? And I think this is where our Catholic friends get it wrong. Mary is to be respected. She is not to be worshipped. Mary is to be appreciated. She is not to be prayed to. Mary was chosen by God and blessed by God among all women, right? She was not ever elevated above all women. Verses 29 and 30. But when they saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So after hearing the voice of the angel that told her to rejoice because you are highly favored and because you are blessed, now Mary sees him. And I'm sure there was some fear. I'm I'm sure there was some doubt, probably some confusion. But if you look closely at the text, it also seems like there was a great deal of humility here in Mary's response as well, because she had to stop and consider what was going on, right? She must have thought, you know what? I'm just a Jewish girl from the tribe of Judah, just like a lot of the other girls around here. I mean, why me? Why me? But of course, the difference is found in the favor of God, right? Not Mary. The difference is in the favor of God. And that, of course, is very, very humbling. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So here is the good news that God sent Gabriel to bring to Mary. You will conceive in your virgin womb, bring forth a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. All right? Now, many people over the years have struggled with this idea of a virgin birth. Okay, which is technically a virgin conception. But I've personally never understood that. I mean, why all the struggle with this idea? I mean, is the virgin birth unexplainable? Yes. Much like the Trinity is unexplainable. But is it unbelievable? No, of course not. Look, if I can believe the very first verse in the Bible which says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If I can believe that, then I will have absolutely no trouble at all believing all of the other miracles contained in the Bible. The Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing, and that God eternally exists as the one triune God, one in essence, three in persons, and that Jesus Christ, the very one sent into the virgin's womb, died for our sins, and then he took his life up again in a bodily resurrection. And it tells us that if we repent of our sins and put our faith in him, then we can also one day rise from the dead. That's what the Bible says. Now, how God created something from nothing how he exists in three persons and how a body can be raised to life again, how a virgin can conceive a child in her womb, I have no idea. I have no idea. I can't explain it to you, okay? But I know this. 
I wouldn't want to waste my time worshiping a God that I could fully explain. That's for sure. Verses 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So here we see things becoming a little more clear at this point. Mary has been chosen to give birth to the long-awaited promised Messiah. And that's beautiful. And what we learn from that immediately is that God keeps his promises most definitely. But this child's going to be different. This child's going to be fully human by way of Mary. And he will be fully God by way of his father. And he's going to be in the line of David. And his kingdom will be eternal, just like God said years and years ago through his prophets. And then the angel says he will be great. Man, Gabriel said a mouthful when he said that. This child will be great. He will indeed be great. There's no doubt about that because the world has never known this kind of greatness, like the greatness we're going to see in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is great in power. He is great in love. He is great in righteousness. He is great in his majesty. Christ is great in holiness. He is great in justice. He is great in mercy and great in forgiveness. Christ alone is great because there's none greater. There is none greater. I mean, can you imagine being in Mary's shoes right now after just hearing all of that? It would be amazing. Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now, it's important that we point out here that Mary's response was not one of doubt. Okay, like that of Zacharias. Okay, there's a difference in how they responded to Gabriel. As Dr. Ironside points out, he says this, in her beautiful simplicity, she asks, how shall this be since I do not know a man? It was not a lack of faith that led to such a question. She does not take or she does not here take her place with Zacharias, who inquired, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. On his part, it was unbelief that prompted the question. On the part of Mary, check this out. It was the desire for enlightenment. Exactly right. Guys, Mary had a desire to know more. She wanted to know more. She wasn't questioning the truth of the miracle. She was just asking for more details. Okay? She was just a young girl, and she just had an honest question, whereas Zacharias was older in years, and he was a priest, by the way, who should have known better than to doubt the word of God. So Gabriel obliged Mary with more details. Right? And I think this is how we know Mary's heart here in her questioning. She wasn't asking for a sign in addition to the word of God. She was just trying to understand the word of God, which oftentimes leads us to ask questions. It's okay for us to take our honest and our heartfelt questions to the Lord. That's perfectly fine. God is certainly big enough and gracious enough to handle all of our questions and all of our confusion. No doubt about that. Verse 35, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Man, what a beautiful mystery this is. Just like the picture of the Trinity that we see portrayed right here in this verse. We can't explain it. Okay, God the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary. 
The power of God the Father will overshadow her, and God the Son will be conceived inside her. How? We can't know. All right. But just like the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle way back in Exodus 40, 35, the Holy Spirit of God would come upon Mary and overshadow her. So I don't think it's a stretch for us to say that Mary's womb was going to be serving as the holy of holies to the Son of God. That's incredible. Now, I think we should also note here this Verse speaks to the eternal sonship of Christ. We see it right here in verse 35. Christ is the Holy One who was to be incarnate. He is the Son of God all the way from eternity past. Okay, so He is the eternal Son of God. In other words, He did not become God's Son at His conception. He did not become God's Son at His birth. Christ is eternally God the Son. But as further evidence of God's promise to Mary, Gabriel lets Mary in on a little secret in verses 36 and 37. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. That's right. So if God can awaken the womb of an aging Elizabeth, Mary, he can inhabit yours. For with God nothing will be impossible. Nothing. Man, what an amazing moment in history. The angel Gabriel has just spent the last few minutes giving Mary the announcement of the Christ, the long-awaited one. He's coming, Mary. God keeps his promises, Mary. And God has chosen to use you to bring his promise into the world. Wow. And in verse 38, we get a hint as to why she was likely chosen and highly favored. Verse 38 says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord... Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see, there may have been other young Jewish girls who were equally qualified, at least physically. But you never know. They may have taken this opportunity to boast. You don't know. But not Mary. Not Mary. Mary's reaction was one of surrender. She had humility. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's James chapter 4, verse 10. But what a lesson we can learn right here. I mean, what a perfect response from young Mary. I think we can apply that to our own lives as well. Anytime the Lord speaks to me, anytime the Lord asks me to do anything at all, my response should always be, let it be to me according to your word. When God speaks to me through his word, my answer should always be, yes, Lord. When God speaks to me in his still small voice, yes, Lord. And if God ever were to speak to me through an angel, my answer would be, yes, Lord. At least my answer should be, yes, Lord. Whatever it is that God is asking me to do or telling me to do, my answer should always be, yes, Lord. Listen to these words from Pastor David Guzik. He writes this. He says, all this took more trust in the Lord than we might think. Mary agreed to receive a pregnancy that would be seen as suspicious. And this in a culture that had a potential death penalty for adultery. So Mary identified herself with sinners 
so that the purpose of God would be fulfilled. Amen. What a picture of Christ we see here in that as well, don't we? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Look at verses 39 and 40. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Man, we all need someone that we can talk to, don't we? We all need people that we can talk to. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And now the one whom God would use to bring Christ into the world, she had a burden to bear. So she goes to seek counsel from a trusted, mature, godly woman. You see, Mary was not only very humble and very faithful for her young age, Mary was also very wise. Verse 41. And it happened. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, what? What just happened? I mean, this is amazing. Look, don't let your familiarity with this story temper your amazement. This is amazing. I mean, Elizabeth had only heard Mary's voice. She had just heard the greeting. That's it. And John the Baptist did a jumping jack in Liz's womb. Okay, in case you're wondering, the word says leaped. That's Greek for jumping jack. Okay, no, I'm kidding. It's really not. But little John, he knew what was up. There's no doubt about that. Okay, he knew who it was that just walked into the room because he had been filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, according to Luke chapter one, verse 15. In fact, this could have been the very moment that he was filled with the spirit. I don't know. But now his mother, Elizabeth, was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And in verses 42 through 45, we see Elizabeth's very beautiful blessing to Mary. Let's read it, starting in verse 42. Then she spoke out with a loud voice, saying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Man. Now remember, Elizabeth believed her promise too. Okay, that she and Zacharias received from Gabriel back in the temple, which was this, that their son would make ready a people prepared for the Lord, Luke 1.17. But her husband was still mute from his unbelief, okay? But Elizabeth, she believed the word of God, and I believe that's why God gives her further revelation here through his spirit. So the lesson for us is this. Believe what you know to be true about God's word and trust him to give you further revelation about the things you don't yet understand. Believe it. Always take God at his word, but believe him by faith. Elizabeth, she had faith. Therefore, the Spirit of God filled her and gave her this blessing to share with Mary, who, by the way, also had faith. And now the Holy Spirit was confirming those things that she had believed already by faith. Amen. 
So what has been the result of faith in your life? Can you look back on your life and see any results of your faith? Have you seen the fulfillment of God's promises in your life as a result of your faith? I don't know. Maybe you haven't seen God work all that much in your life. And if that's the case, then I would ask you, is it because of a lack of faith? Do you take God at his word and then say, as Mary did, Lord, let it be to me according to your word, according to your word. Mary was likely just a young teenager at this time. She was very faithful, yes, but she was young. She was curious, yet she was confident in the word of God. In other words, she believed it. So don't let your heart become so callous that you can no longer hear from God. Keep that childlike faith. Don't let your mind become so polluted that you can no longer believe the promises of God. Believe it. The Holy Spirit told Mary through the words of Elizabeth, blessed is she who believed. What do you need to take this morning by faith and believe from the word of God? Well, this was quite the blessing from Elizabeth, and I'm sure that it reinforced Mary's faith. I mean, you would think. Many scholars call this blessing from Elizabeth here the first song of Christmas. And so this would be the first of what they call five songs total. The other songs will come from Mary, Zacharias, Simeon, and the angels, okay, which we'll get to in time. But I want to point out that nowhere in Scripture, at least as far as I can tell, does the Word of God say that any of these words from any of these so-called songs were sung, okay? I don't know if they were actually songs, I'm not willing to go there just yet, right? Of course, it's possible that they were. I mean, these words could have been turned into songs or psalms later. But at the time, the word of God says they were spoken. That's what it says. Elizabeth spoke out with a loud voice. Okay, it was loud, but she was speaking. She wasn't singing. Mary said in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Zacharias prophesied, saying in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. The angels praised God and said in Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Simeon blessed God and said Luke chapter 2, verse 28. So I don't personally see songs here, okay? Do what you want with that, okay? And it, honestly, it doesn't make a difference either way if they were sung or if they were not as to the truth of Scripture. But just be careful to believe what's written in the text Okay, not what you would like to see written. Now, having said that, I realize that what Mary's about to say in response to Elizabeth is largely quotations from Old Testament Psalms. She also quotes from Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so this is most likely where they get the idea that this was a song. And again, it could be, I mean, but... Obviously, Mary was not singing it, at least at this time, okay? Neither was Hannah, by the way, the one of whom she's quoting. She was praying, but I'll digress here and get off my soapbox on that. But I think what we see here in this passage is Mary quoting Scripture. She's quoting Scripture. She alludes to the Old Testament Scriptures at least a dozen times right here in her prayer. Theologian John Trapp said she had by her much reading made her bosom Christ's library. 
Wow, what a great way to say that. Is Christ's library in my heart? How much of God's word do I have in me? Because what better way to give thanks for the blessings of God than by memorizing his word so as to proclaim the truth of that blessing? David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's Psalm chapter 119 verse 11. You see, God's word, when it is hidden in your heart, will do at least two things. One, it will give you the faith to receive the blessing from God. The second thing it will do is that it will give you the humility to keep you from boasting in yourself. And that's exactly what we see in this beautiful prayer from Mary in verses 46 through 47. Scholars call this prayer the Magnificat. That's Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. Let's read it starting in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. So this tells us that Mary knew that she was a sinner. She knew that because only sinners need a savior. And so in her humility, she understands her desperate need and she exalts the Lord, her God and her savior. She begins her prayer with praise which is exactly how Jesus taught his disciples to do it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And she worships, rather, from her very soul. And I just love that. I mean, how many times do we fail to just worship with our mouth, right? Much less our soul. But Mary's soul is on fire with the magnificence of the Lord. And her spirit soars with joy at the hope that she now has in her Savior. Guys, are you struggling to find joy in your life? If you are, then let me ask you, when was the last time your soul was on fire for the Lord? When was the last time your soul was on fire? Verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And that's right. God has regard for lowly people. Because the lowly understand that they deserve absolutely nothing. And that all of the blessings that they enjoy are freely given by God. By his grace. And so when you realize that God owes me nothing. And that I deserve absolutely none of his blessings. Then when he does bring me his blessing. I can receive it with joy. And I can serve him in that blessing that he gives me. Mary said that she was his maidservant. But Mary also knew that this was a very big deal. This was a generational blessing. Okay. From now on, people would call her blessed. Amen. Mary is blessed among women, not above them. She's never to be prayed to or never to be exalted above her humble self-title of blessed. She served the Lord and she received his blessing. She is not to receive our prayers. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. That's right. Mary knows who is mighty. Mary knows who is great and who is holy. And she understands that she is just merely a recipient of his grace. These great things, they've been done for her, not by her. 
Okay, she has been graced by a holy God and his mercy reaches down throughout time toward those who fear him. Verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. It reminds us of Psalm 147 verse 11 that says, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. So this truth stands all throughout the ages. If you want mercy, you can have it. Psalm 33 verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 34 11 says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2 verse 5, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then, of course, there's Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So again, if you want the mercy of God, you can have it. But it will only come to the humble heart that fears him. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Man. So you can let your imagination run wild if you want to. I mean, you can even imagine there's no heaven just like John Lennon did. You can imagine there's no God if you want to. You can imagine that, hey, everybody gets to go to heaven. Let your imagination run wild. Imagine whatever you want to imagine. But just know that the strong arm of the one true God of heaven will scatter your proud heart if it does not find its refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 6. So don't let your prideful heart capture your imagination. Be captivated by Christ. Right? Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 52 and 53. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So the mighty are mistaken if they take security in their thrones. Because God has shown time after time all throughout history that he's going to exalt whomever he pleases. And it pleases him to exalt the lowly. Those who humble themselves before him. God-fearing people. And it's those people, those who hunger and thirst for God that are going to be filled with good things. Okay, And it's those who try to get through their life on their own without even a thought toward God, thinking that, well, I can just provide everything that I need for myself. I'll fill up on the pleasures of the world. Those people will find themselves sent away empty. Guys, nothing can fill a hungry soul like the good things of God. Nothing. Verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So here Mary remembers the goodness of God to his people Israel. His mercy indeed endures forever, just like Psalm 136 says. Because his people weren't always obedient, were they? But God was forever merciful and faithful to them. And Mary remembers the times that God didn't give his people what they deserved. Therefore, he was merciful. 
He didn't give them what they deserved. And she takes hope in the promises that God has made to his people Israel. And just as his mercy endures forever, these promises are also forever. Okay, look, God's not done with the nation of Israel yet. Okay, he will fulfill his purposes through them in his time and by his mercy. And one of the main purposes that he had for the nation of Israel was to bring the Messiah into the world through them. And Mary just found out that God is using her to do it. So were it not for God's mercy to his people Israel, there would be no hope for a Messiah. And were it not for God's mercy through his Messiah, then there would be no hope for you and me. So just as Mary looks forward through her eyes of faith to the future fulfillment of these promises of God to her people Israel, then we can look back through our eyes of faith to the fulfillment of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we can rejoice in the mercy that we have already received through the blood of his cross. Amen. One more verse and we're done. Verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So just as Elizabeth had to get away for five months, remember that? Mary, she needed about three months before she could return home. And I think it's important that we note here that Mary and Elizabeth, they're not running away from the troubles of their life. Okay, not at all. They're running to God in the midst of their trouble. That's what they're doing. Remember Elizabeth, she had spent the majority of her life, and she was now up in age, but she had spent the majority of her life under the reproach of people because she couldn't have kids. And now Mary, she was getting ready to face accusations of adultery because she was pregnant out of wedlock. So all of this sounds like trouble to me. But both of these godly women, they found their refuge in God. They ran to him in the midst of their trouble. Again, what a lesson for us to learn here. When life gets difficult, run to Jesus. Run to the one who can satisfy your soul, not just numb your senses. Hide yourself underneath the shadow of his wings, Psalm 17, 8. And you stay there just as long as you need to. It might be three months like Mary. It might be five months like Elizabeth. But the point is this. Find your comfort. Find your hope. Find your healing. You seek your refuge and your safety and your forgiveness in the fellowship of the Father and among his people. Don't let your sin separate you from God. Don't let your sin separate you from other believers. If you want mercy, you can have it because his mercy endures forever, right? And Christ fills the hungry soul with good things. So run to Jesus and find your refuge in him. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time in your word this morning. We thank you for the truth that we find here. Help us to think on it. Lord, would you please get it in our hearts? 
Lord, can we think on it long enough to where we can get this truth into our hearts where it belongs? Help us to understand what you're teaching us here this morning. Lord, we thank you for your miracles. We thank you for the promises. We thank you for the prophecies that have been fulfilled and that will be fulfilled. Thank you for the faith of your children that we see here in this passage. Thank you for the lesson that we learned to run to our Savior in the time of trouble. Lord, help us to take your word by faith. And whatever you ask us to do, whether through your word or through your still small voice, Lord, may our answer be to you, yes, Lord, regardless of what it is that you ask us to do. Yes, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Lord, help us to have faith enough to respond like that. Help us, Lord, to have faith enough to run under the shadow of your wings in our time of trouble. Not run from you, not run from the church, not run from your people, but run to Jesus in the midst of our trouble. That's the only place we're going to find hope and help and refuge and peace and joy and love. So help us, Lord, to learn this lesson today. To apply it to our own heart. To just make it a part of our life. Lord, we want to become people like this. We want to become highly favored. We want to know that you are with us and we want to be blessed. The three things that the angel told Mary. And we know that all these are true for every single person who is in Christ. And if there's someone who is not in Christ, if they don't have a relationship with you, I pray that today that would change. I pray that they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ alone by faith, believing that he is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sin and rose again so that they could have hope of eternal life in him. I pray that they would run to Jesus today and be saved. I pray, Lord, that you would go with us throughout this week. Help us to to put our faith into practice, to put feet on our faith this week as we go through our life. Help us to get stronger in the Lord this week. Help us to bear one another's burdens as we see Elizabeth and Mary doing. Help us to do that. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for our time of worship and our time around your word. Please be glorified in all that we say and do. It's all for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.